today's first reading, gospel reading, is from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20 through 31, found on page 1600. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him with the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if, if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Our first reading was Luke's account of the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We move on from these words about difficult love to Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, in which he tells them the point of this unity as saints and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The second reading comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. You can find this on page 1818 in the Pew Bible. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This morning, as we celebrate All Saints Sunday, we remember our connection to one another and to all Christians across time and space. It can be easy to become discouraged by dwindling numbers in churches around the country, or to reflect with an unhealthy dose of nostalgia on how things used to be, to wish saints gone by back into our midst. It can be easy to sit in our comfort and not worry about anyone outside these walls, to focus on keeping ourselves comfortable. But we forget too easily the fact that it's not just those of us sitting in this congregation this morning who are worshiping together. One of the commentaries I read this week shared a great story. The Canadian preacher John Gladstone tells the story of a young, in, a young English clergyman who served a small congregation. It was his custom at evening services to administer the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to any parishioners who remained at the conclusion of the service. One night, so few stayed that he questioned whether the sacrament should be observed, but he decided to proceed. In the midst of the liturgy, he read the part of the great prayer that says, Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. He read it again. With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Then he prayed, God, forgive me. I did not realize I was in such company. Regardless of how many of us are sitting here this morning, Christ's glory is proclaimed. We do not have a monopoly on praising the Lord. We do not have a monopoly on God's protection and promises. We are here for a much larger purpose than our own comfort. According to the New Testament language, all Christians are considered saints. And all saints are connected to one another through God. Which means that when a black church in Mississippi burns at the hands of fear-based politics, we are called to weep and cry out with them. When the country is angry and fearful and divided by a presidential election, we are to champion unity and love. When another saint is hurting or struggling, we are to offer them all we have to help them get back up again. When someone says something terrible to us, we are to respond in loving words and kindness. One of my favorite saints, who has passed on to the other side of creation, is St. Joe of the North Side. He died just a few weeks ago, and everyone at our home church mourned the loss of gentle St. Joe. At first look, most people would cross the street to avoid him. 
He had two long, wild braids of hair on his head and an out-of-control beard. He rarely showered, if ever, and he wore ragged clothes held up by a rope belt. He could be seen walking all over the north side of Pittsburgh, and many people from the area knew him to see him. He was often referred to as Crazy Joe or Wild Joe, but every Sunday morning at 11, he was at church. He sat in the back, often alone, because he knew how people looked at him. Sure, Joe had some problems, but when it came down to it, he had a heart of gold. He once spotted our pastor from across Market Square on a Saturday morning and rushed to him with a shoebox. He had an injured pigeon in the box, and he begged the pastor to take it home for his wife to care for because Joe knew he himself couldn't make it well again. I don't remember how that story ended, to be honest, but I do know that our pastor did not take the dying pigeon home with him and that Joe's heart of gold shone in that moment. One Christmas Eve, when Gloria was no more than three or four years old, she sat in the back of the sanctuary on the floor with Joe, chatting with him and worshiping with him, and it was one of the holiest things I have ever witnessed. Anyone who gave Joe the time to listen knew what a gentle, loving soul he was. Anyone who stopped judging him by his wild appearance knew that he loved God with all his heart. He had some serious problems in his life, but he sought God with all that he had to offer. You see, you never know who the saints really are. On All Saints Day, we celebrate our connection to other Christians across time and space because division and isolation are counter to the gospel. Judgment and putting people in categories is counter to the gospel. You never know if the saints will look like Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or if they'll look like Joe. Today, we celebrate how wonderful and diverse and dangerous and uncomfortable and surprising this unity to one another can be. The account of the Beatitudes in Matthew is the more well-known wording, perhaps because Matthew puts it a little more gently than Luke does. But here in Luke, we see the same trend. Jesus looks at the unjust way the world around him is working. He finds the places in which the world has settled into a pattern that is counter to the ways of God's kingdom, and then he turns them on their heads. He tells us in no uncertain terms that we have no right to judge who the saints are and aren't. Who will receive the kingdom of God? The poor. Who will receive ultimate satisfaction? Those who are hungry now. Who receives the gift of laughter for eternity? Those who have suffered sorrow now. Those who are hated and bullied and treated poorly and pushed to the margins and looked at with suspicion and disgust are the very ones who will be more richly blessed than we can ever imagine. These are uncomfortable words for those of us who have what we need, who are well-fed, who laugh 
more than we cry and who are well-liked and supported and are part of the religious majority in our own homeland. We can almost put this passage off as just being comfort for those who are having a hard time. But then, just as we're beginning to control our squirming in our seats, beginning to make excuses, Jesus turns up the heat on us even more. Those of you who have what you need now and are sitting content in your comfort, those who have plenty to eat and much to laugh about, enjoy it while you have it because it's got an expiration date. Popular now? Watch out, because those who sell their souls to the false gods of power and popularity, like the false prophets of old did, have nothing waiting for them when their time here runs out. If that doesn't feel like a punch in the gut, you might need to read it again later in your alone time with God. Jesus meant this, to be quite uncomfortable. We have no way of knowing who is chosen by God. And therefore, we must treat all people as though they are or will one day be united to us in Christ. All people are beloved by God. When other people are poor or hungry or full of <coughs> sorrow, we cannot ignore them. They are a beloved part of God's kingdom. We are to reach out to them even if we don't like them. Revenge, not in God's kingdom. Taking back from those we perceive a slight from, not if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously. He is not talking in metaphor or in hyperbole here. While Jesus does sometimes speak in confusing metaphors and parables and hyperbole, that is not the case here. He is being very direct Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But let's face it, we all do a pretty lousy job of that most of the time because this is not easy to do. Nobody wants to feel taken advantage of. Nobody wants to feel like human justice has not been served. Nobody just naturally wants to give up hard-earned assets to somebody else. All of us want to feel like the people around us like us. But the homeless man, ignored on the side of the road by Christian and atheist alike, is blessed, is considered by God, is not forgotten by the very maker of the universe. Even though we walk on past, shake our heads in disgust, Assume we know why he's sitting there on the side of the road. The earthquake or typhoon victims on the other side of the planet, who we say will pray for but leave to fend for themselves, they are blessed. They are considered by God. They are not forgotten by the very maker of the universe. 
even though we carry on with our safe, comfortable lives with hardly a tear. And tisk tisk at what a shame it is that they are without food while we gather around our overstuffed tables and throw away entire meals worth of leftovers. There is no if they are also Christians in this passage. No love your Christian enemies, just love your enemies. No, don't hit other Christians back when they hurt you. Just don't seek revenge, ever. Give generously and even ridiculously, not just to other Christians, but to everyone. We are to love everyone as God loves everyone. It's dangerous and ridiculous and really, really, really hard to do. And it's completely backwards to the way that we've all been brought up by the world to act. Because our inclusion in God's kingdom is not dependent on doing all the right things, we cannot assume we can look at a person and judge how worthy they are or how saved they are or how saved they will be. You cannot know what God has planned for them. You cannot truly know what is in their heart or what will one day be in their heart. I am painfully aware of the division that this year's presidential election has caused, is causing, and will continue to cause in our country. I both want to see the whole thing over with and dread Wednesday morning at the same time. And I know I am not alone in that. I am deeply troubled by the division it has caused in even Christian communities. Communities that are called to live together in unity even when we disagree. This division is not what we are called to. We do not have to all agree. We do not all have to like the outcome this week. What we do have to do, though, on Wednesday morning is to pick up the pieces, however they fall, and to continue to love one another, regardless of how much we like one another. What we have to do is to continue to love each other, share generously, stand up for the justice and fair treatment of all people, all people, welcome the stranger, turn the other cheek, and treat others how we ourselves would like to be treated. So I encourage you that no matter how you feel, about whatever happens on Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning, Christ is bigger. Christ is bigger. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are still your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our calling does not change. Our calling to speak of unity and of God's love to all people. Regardless of what happens Tuesday and Wednesday and in the days and weeks to follow, let us all remember that what we are all really here for. Let us all remember to love one another, for we don't know who the saints are or will be. And let us continue God's mission of love and unity in the world, lest we miss out on the holy moments with saints like Joe. Amen. <laughs>